Well, I love the story of a man that came across a little sparrow one day as he was riding his donkey down the road, and he uh, saw this little uh, bird uh, with its uh, little two scrawny legs in the air. And so he stopped. At first, he thought maybe the bird was dead, but as he investigated, he realized the bird was very much alive. And so he said, uh, little sparrow, uh, what are you doing here? He said, well, I heard that the sky was falling, so I'm just trying to do my part in holding it up. And he said, well, you realize that you're, you're not going to be able to do that. And the little bird said, one does the best he can. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of the Christian life, but I think some people feel like that's what the Christian life is. We just do the best we can. And last week, we learned that actually the Christian life is different than that. The Christian life is one that's filled with God's grace one that uh, is uh, not because of our good works, but because of God's good work in us. And so if you're following along in the notes, I want to just mention a couple of things to you as we get ready to look at Ephesians 2.10 today. And that is, this is the recap of last week. And um, it's, we're saved by grace, not by, but for good works. The Christian life is not one where we... Um, are saved by our good works. We're saved by God's grace, God's undeserved favor to us. And that's really confusing to a lot of people because we're used to thinking that, that life is about what I do. And um, so in this series, we've been learning, it, we, it's called In Christ because that's a major theme throughout the first three chapters of Ephesians 1 through 3, is that now God has done something that when we put our trust in Christ, it's somewhat like putting these message notes inside the Bible, but even more like a branch being put into a life-giving vine, and now we are connected to Christ in, in such a way that it's completely different. And so if the Christian life isn't completely different to you, you may want to ask why that is. I was uh, reading this last week about an atheist who said to a pastor, it's going to take a miracle for me to become a Christian. Pastor said, that's right. <laughs> but he said, that's true for everybody, not just for you. See, I think a lot of us think that it's just us being an improved version. But that's not true at all. Steve showed us last week that here's what grace looks like. God made each one of us in his image. And uh, I'm not going to do what Steve did last week, but then he uh, threw it down and smashed it and said, but... Because all of us have turned away from God, we've, we've all ruined our lives. We've all messed up the original purpose that God made us for. We are made for him, not to be independent of him. And so then he, uh, he held up this. I'll make sure I don't break it here. He says, a lot of us think that this is what we're supposed to do, is somehow we put ourselves back together again. We just do the best we can. Uh, you know, the real story of this is that Chuck was given the assignment, one of our worship leaders, guys, to uh, put this back together, and this took him hours, and it looks like this. <laughs> Even our best efforts, this is the best we can do. And this is what a lot of us think the Christian life is, and it feels like a struggle, and it feels so defeating. I was talking with someone this week that said, I'm a terrible Christian. <laughs> you could just tell they were tired of their legs in the air. Steve showed us that actually the Christian life is that God doesn't just make us improvers. He makes us something brand new. 
We may look the same on the outside, but he's put a new spirit inside of us. And before, where we were turned in on ourselves, now in Christ, we're turned outward. And we have a new power, a new person living inside of us. And this is a Christian life. But if you're following along, what we've been learning in this series is that even though we now have a new identity in Christ, uh, it's lies from our past or lies that the evil one whispers to us that sometimes derail us. And so just by knowing the information of our identity doesn't mean we live in that identity. So here's the lie that I want to just wrestle with this week. And that is a lot of times go, yeah, yeah, I know I'm saved by grace. But the Christian life is still mostly up to me, isn't it? Still mostly up to me if you're following along, right? And no, it isn't still mostly up to you or me. And if you think that way, you're going to feel a lot like that little sparrow. And it's probably not going to help as much as you think it'll help. So I want to talk to you about something that's revolutionized our church, and it has revolutionized my life. In fact, uh, as long as I've been walking with Jesus, this still amazed me this week the more I thought about this truth that we're going to talk about today. And it's found there in Ephesians 2.10. And uh, as far as opening your Bibles this week, uh, let me just say that before communion, I'm just going to ask you to trust me. We're going to look at this verse, this one verse today. And as you know, Norma, we invite you to open your Bibles. You're certainly free to do that. But let's get right to it. Let's read the second gray box because we already read Ephesians 2.10 in the version listed in the first gray box. Let's read it out loud. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And what I hope you'll see is today is this verse is saying that we are God's handiwork. We are God's workmanship. And some of you say, okay, okay, what difference does that make? Well, this week I came across uh, this quote by Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he, he put it so well. He says, here's what these verses are teaching us. We do not make ourselves Christians. Is that, is that what you've been thinking? I know I sometimes fall into that thinking. He says, we are something that is being made or fashioned by God. It may not always seem like it, but it's true. Do we habitually think of ourselves in that way? Is it not, alas, true to say that most of us, that we persist somehow in thinking of God as entirely passive? We think of the real activity always being on our part. Is it not our tendency to think of it in that way? I decide for Christ, and therefore I am justified. Then I decide I want to be sanctified. But God is passive the whole time in this kind of mindset. It is my activity that matters. It is what I decide. It is what I do. But notice what this verse says. God is the workman. It is God who is active. It is astounding that anyone could ever fall into this particular error because the Bible is nothing but the record of the activity of God. How is it possible that we can read an open Bible starting with the words, in the beginning, God and then go on to think of the whole thing as our activity. It is God who acts everywhere. He made man. He made the world. Man sinned. God went after him. It is the God who called Abraham. It is the God who created the kings. It is God who called the prophets. It is God who gave the law. It is God who gave the instructions about building the tabernacle and the temple. And it was God who in the fullness of time 
sent forth his one and only son. It is God's workmanship, God's activity from beginning to end, and yet even we who are Christians tend to forget that and to think often of the Christian life, of our being Christians at all in terms of everything we have done or something we have attained. And the truth of this verse and our new identity in Christ, if it really soaks in, will change the way we think like that. And when that changes, it begins to set a whole new thing in pattern. And so today I want to just ask you to think with me about what it means to understand what God's up to, what it means to accept our identity. And then I want to spend the biggest part of the message talking about how you can walk to your car today, not only with an opportunity to understand this, but what it would look like if you begin to walk your life out from that understanding from the inside out. So I want to just ask that if you'll pray with me, and uh, let's do that together. Now, God, I need to practice this even in the prayer. Sometimes I think that you need to help me, really, you know, help people understand this, God. You, you know, you got to help me do it. But Lord, deep down, you're already at work. You're already opening eyes. You're already working in hearts before I even got up this morning. So I step into a world you're already involved in. And I pray that as we understand that, you'll show us what our part is and how we can respond to what you're already doing. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so let me just talk to you about this today. Uh, We are his workmanship. We are his handiwork, as the New International Version says. Did you know that in the original uh, Greek language that the New Testament is written in, this verse has an interesting thing that just reinforces what Martin Lloyd-Jones just said that I read to you. The sentence, rather than saying in the literal, we are his workmanship, starts this way. His workmanship, we are. Now, that's interesting because whenever you put the first word in the sentence, it's there for emphasis. So it's saying, his workmanship, you are. Sometimes I, I learn it this way. My workmanship, I am. And he's saying, no, no. It's, it's, it's not that you're not involved, but he initiated what he wants you to be involved in. It's not that you don't participate, but you don't generate the Christian life. He does. And therefore, your job is to learn how to respond to what he's already generated and started and initiated and has in mind. You're working according to his workmanship, his plan. And so when you do that, it just goes differently. It's not about just holding our scrawny little legs up. So handiwork, what's that mean? The word handiwork uh, comes from, again, uh, the Greek word poema, which can you hear a word in there? Poem. So if you're following along, the literal word there uh, is taken from the word we have for poem, which means what? A literary work of art. And so it's a work of art. It's something made by hand. Uh, The word workmanship, masterpiece, that whole idea. It's that which has been made. It's a work. It's a creation. It's a making by someone. If you look up here on the screen, look at Isaiah 64, 8. It gives us this idea. It says, but now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our what? Potter. We are all the work of your hand. I love how David says in Psalm 139, your workmanship is marvelous. Your workmanship is wonderful. And I know that full well. Do you know that his workmanship is wonderful? I don't know, when I, was a junior, when I was in college, I taught a junior high Sunday school class. And at that time, I was working in a grocery store in the produce department. So I said to the kids one day, I said, next time you go to the grocery store, if you do, 
Look in the produce department and just try and notice all the different fruits and vegetables. Notice the variety. Just notice the colors. Just notice the textures. Just notice all the different ways. And God did that. He just is amazing. His workmanship is marvelous. And when you and I begin to understand, man, I am his workmanship. I know that some of you, the only thing you've ever heard is that you would never amount to anything. You've heard that more times than you can count from your parents or someone else. And that's the thing that plays in your head. I want to just invite you to let the scripture play in your head. When Jesus was tempted by the evil one, he says, no, 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 no. It is written. This is what's true, what God says. And friends, maybe the best thing you could do this week is to go home and write this verse out in your own hand and stick it on your mirror or your refrigerator or take it with you and just let these words become part of you. We are his workmanship. I am his workmanship. The second thing I want you to see is that he's created us brand new in Christ. He's created us brand new in Christ. Like I told you, that guy said, it's going to take a miracle. That's exactly right. Friends, every time you see a real Christian, they are not just an improved version of a human being. They are a brand new person. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. It doesn't mean that there's not still some things that need to be unlearned and still some different ways of learning how to live the Christian life, but you can tell there is a different quality in their life that you can't put your finger on, but you can tell that it's God. God's doing something in that person. I can't put my finger on it, but he's doing something. Huh, he must be the result of God's work. And I just love, every time as a pastor, it's changed my life that when I walk around and see some of you that are fellow Christians, just be able to go, wow, wow, what God is doing in that person's life. And for those people that I meet that aren't yet Christians, I say, oh man, God, I appreciate the way you made them at creation, but now I really just praise you for what could happen if they'll trust in Christ, if they could just learn to trust in Christ. So um, here's what I want you to see. This idea of the pottery that we already showed you, I thought, I'm just going to use that a little further and, and think about what it is when a potter takes clay and forms something. So we have a man in our church, some of you know Dave and Susan Hampton, and Dave, uh, years ago, while I was speaking, the whole message sat with a potter's wheel and just formed something, but we thought we'd just do this today. Watch this video of Dave taking a lump of clay.
And so notice that when he's making us, notice if you're following along, he's prepared good works for us to step into with him. Good works for us to step into with him. It says in the New International, uh, good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. In the English Standard Version, it says, good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in, that we should step into them. And uh, I was thinking, you know, what are these good works that he has for us to step into? I want to mention that in just a little bit when we describe those, but the idea is that he's prepared this. He's out in front of us. This isn't us figuring this out. This isn't us just trying harder. This is, God, would you help me to see the world as you see it? Would you help me to see myself as your workmanship made for good works that you have me ready for in a unique way? And I'll just say this. If you would have told me when I became a follower of Jesus that I'd be standing in front of you today talking about this, I couldn't have seen that far. But when I got up this morning, I remember praying, Oh God, you prepared me for this day. Will you please work in such a way that you'll be preparing other people so they can do what you want them to do? And I just love how he does that. So some of us, when we think of good works, we think of grand and glorious works, and we get all hung up on that and say, well, I could never do what that person's doing, or what I'm doing is so puny compared to that person. And I just want to remind you of the verse in Matthew 10:42 that says this, I tell you the truth, whoever gives someone a cup of cold water in my name will surely not lose their reward. Friends, I'm talking about good works that are as simple as giving someone a cup of cold water. It may seem like a tiny thing in your mind, but in God's eyes, he doesn't miss it because he made you, made me to do those kinds of things, large or small. Have you ever noticed, sometimes I remember I was going to write somebody a letter, and I thought it had to be like such a masterpiece, and it had to have so many important sentences in it that I'd never wrote it for months. And in the meantime, I could have written hundreds of notes. Does anybody relate to what I'm talking about? So we just need to know these good works may be totally small, they may be bigger, but a lot of times the way we do the bigger ones is by doing the smaller ones now. He prepares us. So what does our identity look like? First, I want you to notice uh, a discovery I made this week, if you're following along, is that his handiwork is both a me and we deal when it's working right. His handiwork is both a me and we deal when it's working right. Now, what do I mean by that? Can I just tell you that uh, I, I told you you may want to write these scripture verses out and just say them out loud and meditate on them? Well, I did that. And here's what I noticed uh, a, few weeks, uh, I mean, a few days into that. I noticed that here's how I was actually hearing the verse. I am his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And then all of a sudden I thought, that's not what it says. What does it say? We are his workmanship. Now, it's, as I was thinking about that, like God said, it's not that you aren't his workmanship. You are. It is an individual reality, but it's also a corporate reality. I've said it to you often. When someone says, I can be a Christian without being part of a church, it's just an undeveloped, immature understanding of the Christian life. We were never meant to just be an individual Christian only. God gave us a new identity both individually and corporately. Now we are part of something bigger than ourselves, but it's all about being connected in Christ. 
And so when I think about how he's a workmanship, not just in your life and your life and your life, but as he put us all together, what kind of church family we can be, what kind of church in the world we can be, it gets me excited. And so again, if you've never seen this passage, look at Romans 12. I mean, uh, yeah, Romans 12, uh, 4 through 8. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And can you imagine when a group of people are all doing that, the variety is as cool as the produce department in a grocery store and better. And friends, this is what God's up to. It's a me and we deal. Look at Titus 2.14, what it also tells us. The reason why Jesus gave himself was to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify him for himself. What? An individual? No, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. He dreamed that we would be people that would be on fire for the good works that he's prepared for us to do in the world. Not going, oh man, okay, I'll hold up my legs. But I get to, Lord. What grace means is that now everything flows out of gratitude, not guilt. It flows out of thankfulness and privilege rather than a sense of obligation and dead duty. And friends, when a church gets this, when an individual gets this, oh my goodness, the world changes that moment because God planned it that way. And so notice this, that God has uniquely shaped us, if you're following along. God has uniquely shaped us, just like the potter does with the clay, to serve and shine in the world. God has uniquely shaped you. If you're a follower of Christ and that miracle of the new birth has happened in your life, then God has been shaping you so that you can serve him and serve others and shine in this world. Matthew 5, 16. Look at this verse. I think we all know it. Let's read it. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, let me make sure we all understand this. Is the reason why we're supposed to do these good works so that people will praise us? No. Is this just another thing of saying, hey, I'm going to serve because that way I'll get approval. I'll get attention. No, we already have approval from God, and now we serve out of gratitude for that. Now we live to glorify God and edify others. Anybody ever taken the network class? You know we say that all the time. We want you to be able to think about that in your sleep, that we serve to glorify God and edify others. So why don't you turn your notes over to the back side of the notes, and I want to just um, again, just a hand raise. How many people have taken the network class in our church? You, some of you? Okay. All right. Uh, over the last 18 years, we've had about six or 700 people take that, and that's changed the atmosphere in our, in our church. I've had people say to me, Jeff, it seems like a lot of people around our church, or even when I see them in the community, and I see them serving, and I talk to them about that, they go, I love what I do. Why? Because as a church, we try to pay attention to what God's already been working and trying to help people work consistently out of that shape. 
Well, anyway, Rick Warren said years ago, and this, I found this immensely helpful, is that God is shaping you, and he uses five different things for you to understand your unique spiritual shape. And so what are they? Well, he uses an acrostic. S, spiritual gifts that he gives you when the Holy Spirit comes in your life. H, for heart or passion. What he, he gives you a heart for something very specific. Then E, I mean A, excuse me, i got to learn how to spell. Abilities, okay? Abilities. Some people go, well, what, is a spiritual gift the same as an ability? Well, not always. But his ability, the abilities you have came from God too, right? And then P, personality. Somebody says, well, I'm not as outgoing as you, Jeff. So like when I serve, I mean, am I supposed to look like you? No, you're supposed to look like you. If you won't be you, who's going to be you? Seriously. Some of us are so hung up on being somebody else's personality. God just says, would you please use the personality I gave? I did that on purpose. I like your personality. Please. And E is experiences. How many of us have been shaped by our experiences in more ways than we can count? And some of us are saying, man, one of the reasons I don't think I can serve is because some of my experiences have absolutely broken me. Can I just read to you something that Rick Warren said that I think is so true? He says this. He says, God never wastes a hurt. In fact, your greatest ministry will most likely come out of your greatest hurt. And in our church, that's certainly true. We've watched people. Now, I told you I would tell you what good works are. What do they look like? Well, in one way, the answer is chapters 4 through 6 are going to show us what these good works look like once we understand our identity. But also, in the back there, you see the list of spiritual gifts. Those aren't exhaustive. There's many others. But, you know, when someone offers hospitality or mercy or uses assistance like helps and other things like that, those are good works that God uses. Or when someone bakes a loaf of bread or when someone, you know, assists or listens or cares for. I mean, all these things can be good works. Friends, have you listened to someone in a while? That can be a tremendously good work in someone's life. My dad, when he was in high school, I was going through a tough time because of just being on the outside of, of, of the group in his small town, and one lady smiled at him on a regular basis, and that smile was powerful. It was a good work that glorified God and lifted him up. And you and I can do those things, but the idea is, are we available? Are we willing to let God shape us, or are we still in charge? Are we still saying, my way or the highway, God? You work with me. I'm my workmanship. Come on, give it up. Grace says, give it up and receive his amazing grace. So if you turn it back over, I just want to close by kind of telling you how this has worked out in my own life. For me, I guess uh, the first few years I was walking with Christ, it wasn't because I didn't receive good teaching about this, but it just didn't click in. And so I kind of thought that I, it was up to me. I kind of thought, well, I'll become a good Christian for God. And one day, I was home, uh, during college, I was home, and I had lunch with my dad. Some of you heard me tell this before, but it's so shaping to me. My dad said to me, he says, Jeff, he says, uh, what, what spiritual gift do you think God gave you when you trusted Christ? And no one had ever asked me that before. I'd never had anybody ask me. Maybe no one's ever asked you that before. But I want to ask you, what spiritual gift has God given you? It's important for you to know that because he made you and he's done that on purpose. But anyway, I said, I don't, I don't know, Dad. I, I have no idea. Like, you tell me. And he said, well, he said, I, I'm not sure all the spiritual gifts. I'm, all the spiritual gifts? I don't, I don't even know like one of them. 
And he says, uh, but I know this for sure. I know one gift he's given you for sure. And I'm here. Now, let me just ask, if he was saying that to you, would you want to know what he said next? <laughs> I wanted to know what he said next. And he, I said, okay, what is it? He said, it's encouragement. You help put courage back into the body of Christ. You lift people up when they're running the race so they don't quit. He says, how many times has it happened? You've written a note or you've said a word to somebody and later they came back to you. Not all the time, but they come back to you and say, that really helped me. That came at just the right time. Thank you for doing that. I said, man, it's happened a lot. He says, you need to pay attention to that. That's God's work in your life. <laughs> that changed me. I've never been the same since that day. I now had a sense when I woke up in the morning of one of the ways that God wanted to work through my life by his work in me. And again, when you begin to discover that, so if you're following along the notes, when you begin to discover how God has uniquely shaped me to serve, that's a big day. So what did I do next? As soon as I discovered that, then I thought, okay, God, if this is true, then show me how to use it. I'm not real coordinated yet. I'm kind of like a new baby learning how to walk, you know? And so would you please show me? So I, I would pray. I just said, God, each time I write a note, I remember going to the mailbox and I'd put these notes in and say, will you encourage that person? Even if my note's not perfectly written, would you lift them up somehow? Because it's what you do in a person's life that really matters. But if you want to use me, that'd be great. So if you're following along, pray as I step into the good work he prepared me to do. So I was amazed sometimes. I'd notice that all of a sudden, across the ticker of my mind, someone would come to my mind and I would just have this sense, encourage them. Serve them in some way. And so I go, okay, it looks like he's preparing me, so I would step into that. Now, I want to be real honest, okay? It, did, did, were there fireworks all the time? Do people go, unbelievable, what an encouragement note. Thank you so much. No, I don't want to make this dramatic. I just want to say, it didn't matter. I knew I was doing what God wanted me to do because the body of Christ had confirmed this. Sometimes people will say, well, I think this is the gift I have. And the rest of the body of Christ is going, hmm. <laughs> so we got to be humble. we got to be humble. But that doesn't mean if we don't have that gift, we don't have a gift. Do you hear me? Okay. And the third thing is, is that I had to keep learning. So keep learning to do them in and with Christ. To keep learning how to do these good works in and with Christ. Let me, let me try and explain this. This whole series is called In Christ. The Bible says the miracle that God did is he took us independent sinners and he didn't just forgive us. He bonded us with Christ. He put us in Christ like a branch with a vine so that now the life of Jesus who is very much alive even as I speak his life can begin to flow through an ordinary branch like you and an ordinary branch like me, and his extraordinary life begins to change an ordinary person into someone who can serve and shine so they can glorify God and edify others. And when that happens, friends, it's a process of learning. I can tell you now that I've learned more about encouragement over the last 30 years than I knew before. But some of that is to continue saying, just because I've learned how to do this doesn't mean I want to trust in my ability. I want to stay available. God is more interested in our availability than he is our ability. You know that. And so that's some of what the process has been like. That's probably how it's going to look for you. 
So Cherry Hills, we want to help in that discovery process, but you can actually begin to pray about that and you can begin to learn about that. And I hope that if you're part of this church, you will grow in that. So here's the last thing I want to just share as far as a prayer. Is when a person who has been born again of Christ says this each morning, God, I want to live fully available as your handiwork. The world changes. God, I want to live fully available as your handiwork. The world changes. So I want to ask Rob and Jessica Burke if they would come up. And the reason is, is we want to pray. We want to pray for them. You know, as a church, we have lots of people that are serving. This last week, I got a chance to just say to a guy who used to take the newsletters to Cook Street Post Office every week faithfully. No one knew he did that. And other people would, when we were mailing those, they would put postage on it and they would sort them. No one knew they did that. All behind the scenes. But I said to this guy, that was like a cup of cold water in his name. He will never miss that you did that. And man, he wants to do good works through us. Well, anyway, the reason we want to pray for Rob and Jessica is because there are two people in our church family, they and their kids, Carmen and Miles as well, who about... About six or seven years ago, they sensed that God was wanting to do something new in their lives and began to give them a heart for orphans, foster kids. And so as they began to open up to him, uh, they discovered uh, a couple things were happening. One, they found out about um, a ministry called uh, God's Little Angels, right, that was started by someone from Jessica's hometown. So Jessica did some ministry with them there in Haiti, and also Rob went and did some construction work there in Haiti at different times. They both went. And in the meantime, they also, since they were supposed to take in a little foster guy uh, as foster parents with the hope of adoption, a boy named Judah, who they received at four days old with the hope of eventually adopting him. And they raised him, and in 27 months, unexpected thing where the biological father decided to take Judah his own and it just broke their hearts to love someone like that and have to let Judah go so it took a while the healing process that hurt we were talking about earlier and eventually God renewed that passion to adopt a child in their lives and then they began to apply for adopting a child in Haiti because they had that connection from their past experiences and they were told it would take about two years and then in February, they were told that it might take another 18 months. But about that same time, an opportunity came, an open door to work with God's little angels down in Haiti if they as a family would be willing to come down there for a 12-month commitment. So Jessica's been a teacher here in town. Rob knows construction, rental homes, things like that. And so they just began to pray, God, do you want us to move our family? And so they are putting their house, they're renting their house. They sold a number of things. And they're going to take this adventure. And they feel like it's perfect timing while they wait for their adopted child. And uh, so, Jessica, this verse that we talked about, this verse kind of ties into this, some of this process. Do you mind talking about that? Um, about a year ago. It was July of last year when we lost Judah. And um, it was, I think, one of the, it's the hardest thing we've ever gone through as a family. But in all of that, we never once doubted that God um, had plans for us, that he loved us. We continued to be grateful for his mercy and grace. 
and that verse has been on our fridge for a couple of years, so we see it every day, multiple times. And uh, it, it took some time, but over this last year, he's really grown our hearts in tremendous ways. And it's absolutely clear to me that he prepares those good works. Um, he lays them out before us, but in that, he also prepares the workers. And that's what he's been doing for Rob and I. And we're so excited to be able to say yes to this opportunity and... I think one of the cool things for us is that in adoption, there are definitely peaks and valleys. We've experienced great joy, but also great heartache in it. And um, we get to come alongside adoptive families who are working with this orphanage. We get to partner with them, and um, we get to love on their kids before they come to their forever families. And that's just a neat, a neat thing that we um, are just so grateful that God is, has prepared us and has equipped us for. And uh, Rob, you're, what, uh, you're leaving. Uh, tell us when you're leaving and what you'll be doing down there. I'll be leaving June 1st to try to get up to speed with the, um, the guy that's currently doing my job. And then Jessica and the kids will come down at the beginning of July. But I'll be the construction manager. Um, this orphanage has been in existence for about 20 years. And they've always had to rent four or five different buildings to uh, accommodate all their needs. Well, maybe six years ago or so, they bought a five-acre piece of property in a different town, and they've been slowly building all the buildings they need for to, to fill all their needs. So currently there's a, a school and a bunch of little houses to hold all the two to maybe 12-year-old kids. Um, and I will be in charge of working with the Haitian crews and any volunteer teams that come to build a 10,000-square-foot guest house, which will house every volunteer that ever comes, every family that ever comes to... Um, to, to pick up their, their child and take it back home, um, and then some of the staff. Uh, and then possibly if we get far enough along with that, we'll start on the baby house. So every, you know, newborn to two-year-old that has in that building also have medical facilities and stuff like that. So we, uh, I'll be working on construction. Jessica, with a teaching background, also taught special ed. So she'll be working in the school there, some with the kids, but also training the teachers there on how to how to you know, new techniques and how to work more effectively with, with the kids that have special needs. Um, and these two kids will just be playing with the kids there and showing them love and, and you know, filling in as needed. So they're both good workers and they'll both be a great help. <laughs> well, let's, let's pray. You know, sometimes we invite you, if you want to, just to hold out your hand uh, towards them as a church family, as a way of saying we're in this together, kind of form a, a network of prayer. So let me pray. Now, oh, God. Rob and Jessica, Carmen and Miles want to be available. They want to step into the good work that you've prepared for them in Haiti. And we pray for them as they wait for their adopted child that they can be a blessing to others that are involved in this. So go before them and let them know that they're your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. In Jesus' name, amen.